is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast by thepilotreport.com about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Now, here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Sean Moody, Rick Felty, Carl Valeri, and Len Costa. G'day, mates, and welcome to this edition of the old Stock My Gavcast, this episode number 46, <laughs> the episode we're uh, lovingly referring to as the Smackdown Under, if uh, my bad and poor Australian accent didn't give it away. Okay. I, uh, this is Len Costa. I'm joining you guys today from uh, Melbourne, Australia. And uh, joining me on the call today are my favorite group of aviation drongos, which, uh, speaking of drongo, what is a drongo, gentlemen? Uh, Drongo is a little bit of a loser, a bit of a dropkick, a bit of an idiot. Uh, <laughs> okay. That's being polite. Okay? <laughs> yeah, it's um, the most G-rated thing we could think of. <laughs> yeah. well, he, he asked us to come up with some Australian greetings that you'd say insults to friends type of thing. And <laughs> after we went through the first hundred or two and realized that they wouldn't fit with a G rating, um, we came up with that one. <laughs> but it was an interesting drive, so <laughs> to hear them all. But uh, yeah, so we're, uh, we're, I am joining you guys all the way from uh, down under here in Australia. I've got a couple of guests with me. Me, who I'll introduce here in just a moment, but our first, uh, our first co-host once again, Mr. Carl Valeri, who we missed on the last episode, once again, unfortunately, cannot make it today. As we speak, truth be told, he is right now sitting in the right seat of that Airbus A320 across the top of the United States on his way to Las Vegas. He's at work right now, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, he does uh, send his apologies once again. One of these days, he may come back on the show. I don't know. Maybe we still need to start shopping for a replacement, but he won't know because he's probably not going to listen to the show. No. But just kidding. <laughs> uh, so joining uh, joining us from uh, Kentucky in his uh, studio is Sean Moody. How are you today, Sean? Doing great, Len. Uh, sitting here just trying to dry out after a very soggy day. We actually set a new one-day rainfall record here in Lexington. So I was out playing in the mud all day. I'm glad to be sitting <laughs> at home at this point for sure. Wonderful. Well, glad to have you here today. And uh, Rick joining us from his studio in Massachusetts. How are you today, Rick? I'm very good. This, uh, this show is coming out in April and I'm still talking about snow uh, because we're about to get a snowstorm tomorrow. But other than that, everything's fine. Another well, you are probably not going to want to know then that it's, uh, it's about 63 degrees here right now mm. down in oh, Australia. That's uh, nice. Very nice. Yeah, it is. It's very, it is nice. Big cult. <laughs> Um, yes, and once again, I'm uh, Len Costa, and we are joining you from the Plain Crazy Down Under World Headquarters here in the suburbs of Melbourne, Australia. Now entering cruise flight. Joining us on the show, I'm sitting actually at, across from me. This is not a virtual down here. We're actually got a couple of chaps, a couple of mates sitting across the table from me. First is uh, Grant McCarran. Joint, how are you today, Grant? Hey, mate, not too foul. How are you doing? <laughs> not too foul. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. And uh, Steve Fisher, welcome. G'day. And uh, hello, Stuck Mike Evcasters everywhere. That's right. And uh, we've got a, a quite a fun show today. Um, we are sort of uh, down here visiting, doing some ballooning on vacation. We're, you know, what the heck, let's record a podcast and all that good stuff. But uh, I want I kind of want Grant to tell you his first introduction on when he met me a couple of days ago when I walked off the airplane. I get a text <laughs> message actually from Steve, first of all. And uh, he goes, he goes, hey, Len, have you landed yet? And I'm like, yeah, I'm over picking up the rental car. And he's, what, what happened, Steve? Well, the, we thought, you know, being the gracious hosts that we would uh, 
we would show up unannounced to Melbourne Airport and greet you guys as you came off. Now, you know, we only met you, I think, once at Oshkosh, only briefly. Barely, so, barely, yeah. So we're standing there with our iPhones with your Facebook pictures and we thought, you know, they'll walk past us. You know, there was two exits that they could walk past. So I was at one end, Grant was at the other. And you walked straight past Grant. Fortunately, it wasn't me that missed you. So. Well, you know, in my defense, he didn't have the uh, curly wig on. But uh, uh, had a bit of a beard happening from, uh, from the long flight. He, uh, was, the two of them were on a mission. I see this guy and girl. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's them. He looks right at me. I'm wearing a plane crazy down under cap. I've got my pink. <laughs> Hello. Walks right past. I'm like, I'm sure that I, – I, Gone. Never saw them. I was, Never saw I was them. about to say Len, but they were like leaving vapor trails <laughs> heading towards. So. Well, actually, my 15-year-old son was with us, so we'll just blame him. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. And, by, and by the time I got that text message from uh, Steve, it's been about an hour later. I'm like, gosh, we've been we've been out of the airport for an hour now. Yeah, I didn't well, even know they were there. In, in my defense, you guys set world record speeds for getting off the plane, off the plane. down to get your luggage, mm-hmm. out through customs, and through immigration and everything like that, I, I mean, were you guys sprinting? Yeah. yeah. Well, there was, you know, I took advantage of the no lines. I said, Teresa, let's move. Let's go. Let's go. There's nobody in front let's of boogie, us. Boogie. <laughs> <laughs> let's get this holiday underway. But uh, now, yeah. now, I've got to ask you, Lynn, um, your first impression of driving here in Australia on the other side of the road and roundabouts. Uh-huh. But, well, it was the roundabouts that scared me the most at first because I was, you know, you have to look in the completely opposite direction. But... Um, it's not. It, I took to it a lot quicker than I thought, and I don't know if it's from experience flying. You know, because you fly from both the left seat and the right seat, so the perspective of sitting on the wrong side of the car wasn't as disorienting as I expected it to be. Uh, but so yeah, so far so good. It hasn't been too bad. But with the first couple of roundabouts, I was telling Grant on the way over here, the first couple of roundabouts, I'm like, okay, here we go, Teresa, and then I was like, ah. <laughs> I'm like screaming all the way through the first couple. Truth be told, I was. It's just a true story. But <laughs> don't worry, everyone else around you was screaming. Oh my screaming. God, it's a yank! It's a yank! <laughs> and hippie camper. And I'm in this, yeah, I'm in this Mitsubishi box van that's got the words hippie camper on it and a bunch of flower power stickers on the side of it because we rented this camper to, to, to drive across the country for. Uh, you know, for vacation here. And uh, so, yeah, we're looking like a bunch of fools out there. That's right. Speaking of looking at fools, so, you know, we, we finally meet up with uh, with Grant and Steve here. And I was like, hey, let's go grab a bite to eat, right? So we go out to lunch. We stop at, the, up at the, uh, this pub. We grab some food. We have a beer or so. And uh, we say our goodbyes. And Steve's on his way out. And Grant had just left the parking lot. And I sit down in the van. And I put the key in the ignition. And I turn over uh, the ignition. And nothing but pure silence and crickets. And oh, I was no. like... Hmm. I look over and the lights, the headlights are on. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm like, right. So the first 20 minutes of driving this thing here, I already killed the battery. So I had got on the cell phone with Grant and I was like, uh, do you have jumper cables? Can you come back over here and help me? <laughs> Fortunately, I'm uh, at the moment driving one of the company uh, four-wheel drives, which is this big troop carrier four-wheel drive thing. <laughs> big Toyota that you can put eight people in the back of and about two or three in the front. And yeah, do we have jumper leads? We have industrial truck oh, starting yeah. ones. <laughs> that almost, I think the two jumper leads almost dwarfed your battery in that car. Yeah, that battery is about the size of a... <laughs> Matchbox? Uh, yeah, a, a sandwich. <laughs> <It was tiny. laughs> so we connected it on and almost broke the terminals on the battery. And um, yeah, ba- managed to get everything hooked in and uh, didn't even have to rev the troop no. or anything. It just straight off that big truck battery and boom, <laughs> you were gone. Fired up and got on. So yeah, it's, uh, starting off with a couple of interesting follies and uh, we're out driving yesterday and uh, we're trying to get some directions back into town. I think one of the smartest things I did was actually 
get a SIM card for my iPhone so that we could get a, a little bit of assistance with Siri. So I pulled up directions to get, you know, get back into the city and Siri's giving everything to me in miles. And I'm looking at her going, well, you're talking to me in miles and the signs are in kilometers. I was like, this just isn't going to work. So I pull over on the side of the road and I got into the phone settings and I found the location, the locality. I set it to Australia. And yeah. I, I was like, this, this will probably reset, you know, the, uh, the, all the stuff, the, the temperature and the mileage and all that stuff to local, local settings. And so I had to re, I had to quit my, um, you know, my, my IMAPS directions and restart them. She came up in kilometers. We start moving. Even Siri has an accent down here. I kid you not. She speaks with a British oh, accent. Wow. <laughs> yeah, but now, now you've got to talk to her in Australian. Yeah, that's what you were saying. Yeah. She might not understand me. Yeah. She still doesn't know where you're going. Anytime I talk to Siri, she just says, I can't help you with that. <laughs> I go, hey, Siri, mate, <laughs> mate, come on, Sheila. She's not <laughs> Siri anymore down here. It's <laughs> Sheila. Sheila. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's, those have been my follies so far, just getting started over the last two days. But uh, it's been a great visit so far. Um, I'm not sure if our listeners know too much about Grant and Steve and playing crazy down under, but um, both, why don't you introduce yourself for a minute, Grant, tell us uh, who you are and just a quick background of your flying, and then we'll, we'll, we'll talk to Steve. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'm born in New Zealand, ra uh, raised a bit there and then raised a chunk over here in Australia, traveled a chunk around the world with um, the IT work that I do or used to do. These days I'm in aviation, uh, sort of like an operations manager, office manager and uh, now getting into the maintenance side of uh, hot air balloons. Mm -hmm. uh, so com with commercial hot air balloon operation here in Melbourne. And yeah, so done, had a couple of goes of getting my fixed wing. Never really had much luck getting that. Uh, was always just getting close to uh, to solo, and something would come up like divorced um, the ex and tanked a company, and then had to put money into the boys' <laughs> school. And you know, there's always something getting in the way. The it's usual story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I said, I said, stuff all that lot, and went out for the hardcore. I mean, you know, going down to the airport, jumping in a plane, going mm -hmm. for a flight—that's so danged easy. Anyone can do that. So I went out and became a balloonatic, mm -hmm. and I'm now a private balloon pilot. That's right. And so to any of you people out there who are saying, "Oh my God, it's..." so hard. I can't go out and build hours. I've got to go for $100 hamburgers. It's such a pain building hours in my fixed wing. I say to you folks, and as politely as I can, toughen up princess because, excuse me, f because for me to go out and uh, get my uh, hours up, I have to go, it, it, I look, basically it makes gliding look easy. I have to go and organize a crew. I have to get the balloon, the vehicle. We've got to go out for a whole weekend. Mm -hmm. And if I'm lucky, I might get two hours. Mm -hmm. Maybe might even get four on a weekend if it's really good weather. Mm -hmm. So, And I've got to go out into the countryside, find somewhere to stay, all that kind of stuff. So I've gone hardcore. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a beautiful way to fly, but mm -hmm. it's, it's not as easy as just going down for uh, grabbing a, a fixed wing and going for sure. a jolly. So that's where I'm at. That's um, I'm I'm going to get my fixed wing eventually. Mm -hmm. I will go back to that, but I want to clock a few more hours with the balloons first. Maybe do my gliding, gyrocopter. Love gyros. Mm -hmm. Absolutely have a blast with them. Mm -hmm. So yeah, see what happens. That'll be great. Yeah, and we actually have a little little story to tell about the balloon flight that we did this morning, which yeah. was my first hot air balloon ride. So Woo. we'll get to that here in a minute. Uh, Steve, your background in aviation. Just tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, and. And all that. Well, yeah, it's funny. I, I had never flown in anything until I was 17 and uh, went over to the United States as an exchange student uh, back in 1989. And uh, pretty much as we rolled off the runway at Melbourne Airport in, in the Air New Zealand uh, 747, I just fell in love with it straight away. 
Um, spent time living with the, with a uh, retired Air Force couple over in the United States. Had a lot of exposure to a lot of aviation, C-130s, particularly at Little Rock, uh, anybody who's familiar with that area. And uh, came back here to Australia and uh, thought I'll take some flying lessons. So I uh, started my private license here. Um, to cut a long story short, I ended up returning to the United States, uh, finishing off my private license there, instrument rating, commercial, came back here to Australia. Uh, the, uh, the economy wasn't so good here at that time. Uh, they wouldn't accept my license, unfortunately, my commercial license. So I ended up with an Australian, uh, at the time was called an unrestricted private pilot's license. Um, and unfortunately, walked away from it uh, pretty much not long after that because uh, it's it's very expensive to fly down. Even back then it was, mm-hmm. um, even more so now. And kind of regretted it ever since. But, um, you know, it sort of became quite bitter about it for a, a long time and really stayed out of aviation. But you never sort of lose that bug. Sure. Uh, got into podcasting. And it's really allowed me to re-engage with the industry, uh, meet a lot of really cool people. And uh, you may notice from some of the flight manuals here on my desk in the studio that uh, I'm finally, I've done a little bit of flying here and there tr- just to try and keep my hand in. But uh, I'm just about to finally start a uh, really good crack at getting back and getting current. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure that I'd really bother with commercial privileges now. I work as a uh, train driver here, as an instructor on the railroads here. Um, make a very good living out of that. Have a lot of good job security with it. Uh, but I'd just love to go back up flying. But uh, yeah, um, yeah, that's that's pretty much where it is for me. Okay. So uh, yeah, I spend a lot of time doing podcasting and sitting in the chair where you're sitting <laughs> at the moment. But uh, <laughs> we've we've re- uh, reversed roles here today, and I'm podcaster in command at uh, here yeah. in your studio. Which thank you so much, actually. By the way, oh, no, it's a privilege to have you here. Really in fact, it's, yeah. it's a bit strange sitting over on this side of the desk, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, you'll live. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great. Um, that's great, Steve. But now you, so you did flight training in the U.S. Uh, are your certificates FAA or have you also converted them? I don't know if, uh, I don't remember asking you that before. Yeah, well, I started here in Australia with a student license uh, at the time, a Civil Aviation Authority, now a CASA license. So um, I'd already had that when I left back for the States. Um, so, and then I, I got the equivalent certificates over there. So I have FAA certificates and CASA certificates. Okay. Yeah. So um, I actually have more ratings in the States than I have here. But, uh, you know, the, in fact, we might even want to talk about this, the way the, the differences are here. Mm-hmm. Um, the system is more complex here. And a lot of the things that are combined into the U.S. training syllabus are sort of split out into different ratings here. Right. Uh, most notably, of which I guess is the nighttime VFR rating here. And it's probably the thing that frustrated me the most was uh, my night rating was not recognized here. So, mm-hmm. well, I mean, in the U.S., it's not even known as a rating, is it? It's just part no, of your PPL. Just, right. But uh, yeah. Here it's a night VFR rating. So, you know, I had 100 hours or so of uh, cross-country nighttime VFR and IFR flying. So that's that's the one I miss the most, I mm-hmm. think, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. Um, well, welcome, you guys. I appreciate having you on today and uh, being here in, in your studio and, like I said, taking over the helm of your your control board here and whatnot. So we thought we'd, uh, you know, while we were visiting with, the fo- with, with uh, my friends here from Playing Crazy Down Under, we didn't record a show kind of talk about some of the fun differences between flying in the U.S., flying in Australia, um, you know, regulation, certification. There's all kinds of other things. Uh, Grant was filling me in on, Steve was filling me in on all kinds of interesting things. First and foremost, since we were just talking about, so you actually have to have a specific rating for night uh, explain that you were just talking about that, but give fill us in more. Yeah, well, that's correct. It's it's so here you will do um, what do they call it now? It used to be you know, I've got to go back in time because it's been a while since I did it, but it used to be called the restricted 
private, followed by your unrestricted. Now they call it GFPT, General Flying Proficiency Test. That allows you to go and take an aircraft uh, with instructor permission uh, and a passenger Mm. and fly around in the training area, but you must take off and return to the same airport. Mm. Not cross-country. Not cross-country and all that. So it's just get you up, go for some jollies. Some people use it and go do aerobatics. They'll then, as soon as they've got the GFPT, they'll then go do aerobatics. Mm -hmm. And so you get the situation where you can be a competing aerobatic pilot, but you can't take the aircraft from from airport to airport. Mm -hmm. Somebody else has to fly it, that kind of thing. Okay. So that's 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 the GFPT, and then you've got your um, pilot certificate, mm-hmm. which is yeah, which is you, a cross country component. Yeah, and and the night VFR rating is a separate one again. So, um, you know, they have their reasons. Grant and I have differing views on the necessity <laughs> for that. I think it's ridiculous, but uh, well, uh, it's. I know when a friend of mine went to do his night VFR a while back, it took a long time for him to get it because it ha- they were very restrictive on cloud cover in the area when you went for it. Um, you couldn't have it out. Mm-hmm. It had to be um, at least a certain height above your ma- maximum altitude of your planned flight plan, all this kind of stuff. And there, you, you couldn't depart to go and do your training if there was cloud or forecast cloud that would um, get in the way. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't just go out and avoid the cloud or, excuse me, go out and avoid the cloud or anything cool like that. Um, so it was really quite a lot of d- issue. And, and it's that different lore about proximity to cloud and type of night and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff that you that uh, plays a part in it, I think. But uh, there's, there's, yeah, it, I think that was a, I think that was a bit of a big part of it. Yeah, so, so that's the way it works here. And, you know, there's, there's different stages of uh, instrument rating here too. There's a private instrument rating mm-hmm. and a commercial one. Uh, pretty much I think your multi-engine ratings are pretty much the same as in the US, but it's just that basic component at the start where they prefer to, to split those ratings off here. Mm-hmm. Um, they have their reasons for doing it. I think they could, they could make an argument to say perhaps that there could be more in the US syllabus. You know, People have expressed the view here that maybe there could be more nighttime component in the US rating. I can't remember how many uh, hours that required. It's, it's been a long time. but uh, very small. <laughs> <laughs> and so maybe that's a valid argument. Yeah. Um, I, I could that. see that. You know, I could see that. Like, yeah. th- there is also the angle that I, I know I'm reading the the um, the oh my god sheets, and you're seeing out of the states a number of you know not night current flew off went off to fly night or get in splat. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the ones where you've got people who take off their night current, but they take off and suddenly they're in a pitch black environment, mm-hmm. no horizon. Right. And they spir- graveyard spiral in all this kind of stuff, and it's it, it, night is really tricky. And it is you know, tricky. Yeah. You, you fly through a cloud, and suddenly you're blind because mm-hmm. your strobes have gone off in a cloud, and you didn't even know it was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, know, you got you got all that kind of thing in there. So, CASA and Australia are very conservative, and you know, safe skies or empty skies, but we won't mm-hmm. go there. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> So you've got all that aspect and, and, and then you've also got the whole GA, this is all GA, general aviation. We've also got the sport aviation aspect down here, which mm-hmm. is the Recreational Aviation Association mm-hmm. of Australia, RAOs. And RAOs, um, they they run it differently. You can start off just with a little, um, you can fly out of non-controlled airports and get your license, but you can't go anywhere with a tower mm-hmm. or in any controlled airspace. And then you get upgrade and get your um your, the, the endorsement that allows you to talk to the tower and go into controlled airspace and then you can get the cross-country navigation and, and you can start adding on. And a lot of people are dreaming and hoping for the day that you can take an RAOS license and add on an aerobatic endorsement uh, because RAOS doesn't have the baggage of GA. It doesn't have all the legislation. 
you can be paying a little bit less per hour. You can actually get a, a GA aircraft for a lot less per hour than an RAOS, but it's a it's a clunker. Mm-hmm. It's almost as old as I am, if not older. It's been beaten around the bush a bit. Uh, whereas the RAOS for the same for a bit more price, you're getting glass cockpit or brand new aircraft things mm-hmm. like that. But uh, your cost per hour, because especially if they're running a um, like a, a fuel sipping. Um, was it the uh, the Jabaroos or the Rotax engines? Uh, the, your fuel consumption per hour is a lot less. You're still going places. Uh, most people are really them plus one. You know, mm. like let's face it, if you're flying a Cessna 172, you're not usually filling it with people because you can't. You know that kind of thing. So the RAOs scene is pretty big over here. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got everything from small two seats up to bigger two seats and faster. I mean, mm. some of them are beautiful, slippery little aircraft. Yeah, LSA categories. Right, yeah, yeah. right, yeah, and so that's going great. To use an Australianism, that's going great guns, mate. Great guns. Um, <laughs> uh, cool. So you guys have you know all these these airplanes that you're flying. You do a little bit of flying in different kind of aircraft too. I understand uh, you took Len for a little adventure this morning. <laughs> Just a tad. <laughs> yeah. uh, it wasn't as adventurous as, as it could have been because I wasn't the pilot in command. <laughs> <laughs> He's not that brave. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah not just said yeah, but. Uh, so I had never been in a hot air balloon before and, uh, you know, and I came, was planning a holiday and I knew it was coming down to Australia and I got in touch with these guys, see what was going on. And Grant said, you know, maybe we can get you a balloon ride either over the city or over the valley. There's two locations where they generally launch uh, uh, just outside or is it in the city or just on the outskirts of the city we there actually, in Melbourne? Well, we actually meet in the heart of the city at a hotel okay. in there. Uh, the CBD flights are my personal favorites, mm-hmm. but that's, you know, I'm a city boy. I love watching the world of the city, but um, the mist factor would have been very different on today's flight mm-hmm. in the city. We actually, from the valley, we could see the city balloons flying over. Uh, we can, depending on the winds, you can launch from like half a kilometer from the heart of what, what we call the CBD, the central business district. It's the heart of the city. It's where all the sky rises mm-hmm. are. We can be right, pretty much right next to that, just north or just south of it in some of the fields, or we can be about two or three kilometers out. Sometimes five, if it's a bit windy, we might be as much as 10 kilometers out. Mm-hmm. We're generally trying to fly over the CBD, right over the skyscrapers or around the side of them type of thing, uh, the suburbs immediately around the mm-hmm. core. Uh, Melbourne was one of the first cities and I think it's one of the very few only uh, – it's not the only city, but there's very few that have daily passenger flights that go right over the heart. And we're just really, really lucky. There's three airports. There's the international airport at Tullamarine. Mm-hmm. There's the um, business jet executive kind of airport um, at Essendon, which also um, bring, gets the old Fokker 100 dropping in there. Mm-hmm. Um, they're both north of the city. And then south of the city, you've got Moorabbin, which is the big GA training mm-hmm. kind of airport. So we're very lucky. It's very complex airspace, but because it was set up in 1986, Chris Dewhurst, first man to fly a hot air balloon over um, Mount Everest. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the one who set up Balloon Sunrise. Uh, we've actually interviewed him on the show. I had a chat with him one time after crewing for him down here in Melbourne. And he set it up. Uh, what's not really common knowledge, but he's okay to, for people to know, is that um, I think it was his brother was in air traffic control and a cousin was in the council. And mm-hmm. that's how he managed to get all the permissions set, sorted out so he could actually do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so because we've got over 20 years of experience, we're still allowed to do it. But Daily in communications with air traffic control, every quarter or so having meetings and discussing because mm-hmm. you know they want to change airspace. It makes it hard for us. But that's how you fly in the city. So we meet at a central point. We go out to whichever field the winds favour. Try to get as close to the heart of the city. Fly over it. Get to whichever field afterwards. It's very much like competition flying. Always targeting from before you take off. You're flying and riding those winds. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to be a really experienced pilot to fly the city. 
Um, the Yarra Valley, a little bit more forgiving, but still quite demanding because of all the vineyards and mm-hmm. cows and everything. So, uh, but generally what we do is we go, as you notice today at the Yarra Valley, we go and meet in a central spot once mm-hmm. again. We then jump in, the ve- in, in our vehicles, head out to um, upwind or downwind as you might care. If the wind's from the south, we'll go to the south. If it's from the north, we go to the north, that kind of thing. The whole goal is to fly back into the heart of the valley. Mm-hmm. So we'll go out to the, um, the outskirts. We've got a number of launch fields once again around the whole area. In, in both mm-hmm. locations, we've got about 20, 25 fields we can use. Set up the balloon, get you in the air, bring you back to the heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's where we were, uh, we launched off of this morning was out of the Yarra Valley. Yeah. That Spe- was spectacular pictures, to, uh, guys, this morning too. Oh, it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. It, was, it, was. It, it really turned on a classic with the uh, – yeah, it really turned on a classic with all the um, – the the mist and the yeah. uh, some of know, the low layer, layer fog there. yeah and just watching it all the wind t- churning it up a bit off the um, off the lakes and the rivers mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff it was fantastic mm-hmm. and it was cool because uh, w- once we took off from the valley and you got you know just over the uh, the ridge line there you could see into the city because the visibility this morning was pretty much unrestricted so you could see the cityscape and then we were just fl- you know gently cruising across the valley there over the vineyards and the mountains and. It was spectacular. First, yeah. like I said, first balloon ride, and it was. I'm actually excited to have done it down here and, and get to see Australia from above. Because if we hadn't done this, it's not the kind of environment where I can come down here and easily rent an airplane, you know, and go fly myself around to see this area. So to have that, have done that experience through you guys was was great. And uh, we're actually going to use uh, your balloon company as, as my pick of the week later on so we can you know tell the tell the listeners a little bit about cool. the business in, in launching oh, I better look on that webpage it's like oh, I don't remember anything you know the only downside of uh, balloon riding with that company is you have to get up so darned early <laughs> we did yeah we were up at 4am this morning which I don't, I don't even oh know what would have been where you guys are uh, back home but it probably would have been late in the or uh, about lunchtime or something yeah like it was that. oh dark 30 yeah, yeah wow it so was, yes. we were up early and uh, headed out to the valley and we uh, we did our morning briefing and then we all piled into uh, the Troopy. With Troopy? Yeah, yeah the Troopy. Troopy. The, Troopy. Troopy. <laughs> For the Toyota Troop carrier, yeah. <laughs> we all piled in there and then we headed out uh, to do a little scoping to see what the winds were like. So they actually basically take a helium balloon and fill it up with helium and then put a flashing uh, red, basically a it's flashing. Actually, it's actually a solid red light. It's solid. It's oh, I thought it looked like it was flashing. It flashes once it goes up because the balloon's rotating and things like that. Oh, I but see what yeah, you're saying. You make the helium balloon about a certain size, raft ballpark, and every minute it goes up about 500 feet. Mm-hmm. So, you know, after watching two or three to five minutes, you've seen the bottom few thousand feet. Right. So, uh, yeah, cool. you watch that. So, yeah, they released this test wow. balloon, this LED light on it, and, they, and just observe it to see, you know, how, how rapidly it's making an ascent and which direction it's traveling for, for wind. And then uh, that's basically how we – because we went to one area and basically abandoned that launch point, if I understood correctly, based on the winds. And then we went, like A you said, further, farther yeah. out so that uh, we could take advantage of the wind and still get about – because the intent was to get about an hour's flight. And the wind had a it was a little bit speedier today, yeah. so that so we went a little bit farther outside of normal, um, so that when we did launch, we could still hopefully get that that hour flight yeah. uh, with the wind conditions. And we were ended up being up there about one point two actually. Yeah, I'm officially logged about one point one, but it was close to one point two. But uh, the yeah that first one when we put it up, um, it it was. As you watch, you're watching is two or three different layers of winds. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you just got one direction of winds, and you're mm-hmm. like, "Well, I guess we're going that way." Uh, other times you got two or three, maybe four directions mm-hmm. if you're really, really lucky, or a bit of a di- directional ch- 
if you've got more than 90 degrees of, of differential direction at different layers, then that's a really good morning. You've got a fair bit mm-hmm. of control. But of course, you've also got to take into account the fact that those winds die off. Mm-hmm. They change. As the sun comes up, things shift. And uh, So we were watching it and the uh, once it got into that uh, southerly, it actually, uh, more like a southeasterly, it started going a bit faster mm-hmm. than we expected and it was hooting along a bit faster which for a balloonatic means you know, an extra five kilometers an hour, mm-hmm. <laughs> that kind of thing. So, yeah, we relocated to a point further out. Um, one of the other companies, he stayed, uh, the sole mm-hmm. operator, he stayed there and did his flight. Mm-hmm. Um, he was quite happy to launch from there. Sure. So, But the other two companies, ourselves and Global, we mm-hmm. um, took off a bit further out, as you said, found a different field that we knew. Set it all up there. It was a, a little squeezy our corner when we got there. <laughs> Turns out, yeah, because there was, uh, I think, three other balloons launching. Two other there balloons. Was two, there two? Was two. Okay. Oh, one there, the really big one. I saw, I said, when we were airborne, I saw the third one, which was where yeah. that other gentleman, yeah. So uh, we're in this kind of, it looked to me like a field behind a school, potentially. Uh, uh, it was behind a sports hotel. Sp- okay. Yeah. So, you know, there's there's three hot air balloons out there setting up and uh, inflating. And then, you know, we all departed out of this kind of the same area. So it was not just being out there in our balloon going for our first experience, but, you know, it was kind of fun to see what it looks like. Because I'm sitting in the basket during launch and there's still a balloon on the ground. They're getting ready to launch. And it's like, it's almost like you're looking at yourself and seeing what it would look like. Mm-hmm. from the air as another balloon launches and it was pretty cool i really yeah. i thought that was one of the cool you know that was a cool perspective to see the other balloons up there with us so it was uh i think yeah it was it it turned out to be about four total four total balloons right. one one launched quite separately now mm-hmm. out in the yarra valley we're um, as long as we're below four and a half thousand feet we're below the control terminal mm-hmm. airspace so below the step so the big um the the domestic and uh, international airlines owners are coming in above four and a half right. thousand feet, so we're fine out there. no real need to do any air traffic control communication. We do do CTAF broadcasts, mm-hmm. um the common traffic advisory frequency, so we'll put out a broadcast, hey, we're in the area, hey, we're coming there we're you know the occasional right. update, mm-hmm. and then when we're on the ground, we're shutting down. you might have heard Marlon do I the, did yeah, yeah, do his Basically, close off. yeah, yeah, and uh kind of like a you know, when you clear the runway at an uncontrolled airport, you know, it's, you know, clear the runway, but it was a different terminology. Yeah, yeah, we're on the ground. That's it. See ya. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, the, one of the balloons, the one that was about the same size as us, uh, did what we uh, refer to occasionally as a rocket man ascent. Mm, yeah, I uh, saw him puts, shoot right. <laughs> yeah, he put some good heat in because the winds had shifted slightly on the launch field. And mm-hmm. if he had have just done a la-la-la takeoff, it would have blown them back into us. Mm-hmm. And so he, what he really wanted to do is just get out of the way. That was my interpretation for what I saw on the field. I mean, it was all pretty good, but mm-hmm. it would have brought him back towards the sure. other balloons. So we were flying in a what's known as a 240, which is a 240,000 cubic foot balloon. Mm-hmm. That was part of flying um, passengers 10, pilot one, mm-hmm. and a whole bunch of fuel tanks. Mm-hmm. Um, we had, I think, four or five, five yeah. 82 liter tanks in there. Um, so I'm not sure what the liter to gallon conversion is at the moment. I think it's um, four or three. Both, yeah, 3.78. So, yeah, yeah. yeah 3.7895 recurring, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> just to be annoying. I just look it up on Google. Uh, so, yeah, that was uh, the balloon on the other side was a, a 240 as well. Mm-hmm. And then the one between the two of us, that looked like about a 300 to a 350. Yeah, that was a pretty big basket and a lot of folks on that. Yeah, it looked 12 to 16 passengers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got one of those. We fly it on the weekend, especially Fridays, Mondays. That kind of thing was pretty mm-hmm. popular. Uh, but today it was just a few of us. So we took out the 240 and had a blast. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a really spectacular morning for flying. And, and uh, there was just... 
there was some ground fog and some mist like you were mentioning and take, yeah. you know, taking off and seeing that. And I got some great, you know, pictures that we'll be sharing here uh, on, on the uh, Stuck Mike website. But uh, it's just, you know, it was just one of those great mornings. I love even flying in a fixed wing. You know, you take off and you clear the mountains or whatever and you see all that little fog, right, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the low-laying areas. And that's, that's pretty cool. But um, Well, I mean, you know, we've got to mark off a few check boxes. You saw vineyards. Yes, you saw vineyards. rolling hills. You saw um, <laughs> cows, you know, cattle farm and dairies. And, and a kangaroo. Dun-dun! <laughs> nice. Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, is that a kangaroo? And we're staring at this, just across the <laughs> It's either that or it's a dog hopping. Yeah, it's uh, a hopping. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, it was, it was a roo. It mm-hmm. was in amongst some of the cattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're a grass eater. They graze. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was just on its own and it hopped away through a couple of paddocks before it got to some mm-hmm. mist and, and it obscured itself in the mist. It did. It did. And an interesting side note, because we're so used to, we were, we've done a lot of driving since we've been here back and forth to see some sights. An interesting side note is the the roadkill in yes. Australia <laughs> is like dead kangaroos. You know, yeah. in the U.S., you find a bunch <laughs> of the interstate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hey gosh, that poor kangaroo. And then she's like, oh, I guess that's their roadkill, isn't yeah, it? Oh, said, yeah. yeah, I suppose it is. Remember I, I was telling you. <laughs> Truth be told, they're a menace. Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, I, I figure. I, yeah. To, I told you about um, uh, some about 10 years ago, we had a single ranch, a single property um, in, near Walgett in New South Wales, out in the middle of nowhere. Um, roughly a little bit bigger than Texas. Mm-hmm. This one family-owned property was just a bit bigger than Texas. So any Texans who are listening, I'm really sorry to tell you that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was one family. It's now been broken up. Uh, the family sold it and, or subdivided it up for the kids into their own respective parts. But you go out, um, like if you're out in the, in the bush there and you go out at night and you're in this flat field and you're like, oh, wow, there's a few rocks here. And one of the guys goes, that's not rocks. And he fires a gun in the air and they all stand up and it's kangaroos and all you've got is all these eyes looking back at you. <laughs> and it's, like, it's almost like a rabbit infestation. Yeah. Uh, so... Like the problems they were having in New Zealand with the deer and they were killing them and selling them that way. Mm-hmm. Then they discovered, well, actually, we could breed these guys. And there's now a massive deer industry in New Zealand. It's the same happening here in Australia because you can eat kangaroo. Um, sorry, Rob Mark, you can eat kangaroo. <laughs> <laughs> he, he likes to stir us as being those nasty <laughs> roo eaters. <laughs> roo eaters. <laughs> <laughs> tasty it's delicious it tastes like deer meat actually i reckon yeah yeah um, my partner she cooks it up real well Mm -hmm. um tenderize it a bit and stick it on the barbie or a hot plate and a barbie is a barbecue of course Mm -hmm. uh on the hot plate and just sear it a bit and it's yeah it's delicious Mm -hmm. but uh yeah so we saw some of that uh delicious hopping meat go across the field (laughs) should should have caught one and brought it for lunch (laughs) Slather through a few pieces of bread and we'll be yeah. underway there. Well, but there uh, <laughs> it reminds me. You know, I learned to fly in uh, Central Arkansas, and we yes. used to park on a uh, on a uh, grass strip there. And and quite often, particularly later in the evening, you when you would always have to come in and do a low pass mm-hmm. uh, down the runway because it'd be full of deer mm-hmm. all over the runway. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so you'd have, almost have to scare them off and then and then come back around. Yeah, have to scare them off. In fact, I remember one night there was just one deer and he would not move and. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, of course, I was a lot younger man then, so you take a few risks that you shouldn't. So we thought, oh, screw it. <laughs> so we pulled this thing up in a Cessna 172 and hard on the brakes and <laughs> pulled up right in front of this thing and shut the engine down. He wasn't going to move, though. So. <laughs> Tough deer. <Yeah. laughs> I think it was already dead from the last guy who tried that and buzzed it. What a dead. Well, so that brings me kind of to an interesting, t- uh, you know, 
portion of what we're going to talk about, some of the differences between flying in the U.S. and flying in Australia. And Steve, um, you not per se are the you know full-on expert on this, but you have the experience of getting your license and certificate in the U.S., also pursuing the conversions over here and, and flying in both environments. So from your perspective, give us some of the highlights of what, you know, what's good here versus there, et cetera. And then we'll talk about some of the, and maybe the downfalls, if you will. Yeah. I, I, I often think that the things are not better or not worse. They're just different apart from the night nothing, of course, which, sure. which annoys me incessantly. And the but uh, And the costs. Uh, I guess the biggest issue here in Australia is the user fees, right. which are, which are excessive and they've really done a lot of uh, harm to the industry, in my opinion here. Um, and we always like to make that point, uh, particularly to us audiences when we're talking to them, because, you know, there's always talk over there about bringing in user fees. Mm-hmm. We'll just have a look at really everywhere else in the world and see what they've done to the industry. Uh, many airports here are so expensive to land at, you, you wouldn't bother. Just to shoot the ILS. But we do things differently. We fly circuits slightly differently here. Mm. Um, I think it's one thing here that, at least in my experience, that they, they teach a bit more thoroughly here would be pre-flight inspections. Mm-hmm. Hugely. Every, every day, even if you, were the, if you were the next pilot out and someone had just flown the aircraft, you'd still pre-flight it. So, so there's some of the things perhaps that, that we, that in my opinion, in my experience, we probably do a little more thoroughly here. However, flying in the United States, you have pretty much full radar coverage, which we don't have here. Okay. Um, and uh, obviously, you've got a more um, a busier environment to fly in over there. So down here in Melbourne, it's quite busy. We've got uh, quite a lot of training airports here. So, and mm-hmm. in fact, here where we are in the studio is right underneath the training area for Moorabbin Airport. Okay. Um, a lot of the Asian airlines uh, and Indian airlines send their students down here to uh, you know a lot of the to do their airline training. So on a good day like today, you you know you would see a lot of light aircraft mm-hmm. down here, but go away from the cities, and you don't see such congestion. Um, the, the, you know even the likes of which I used to find even flying around Little Rock where you had the mm-hmm. Air Force base to deal with the whole time. But you know I quite often used to fly into Memphis where you've got FedEx to deal with. So. <laughs> yeah. um, so I suppose there's there's pluses and minuses for everything. If you want to get out to um, outside of the cities and do just some free, clear, and open flying and not have to worry about too much, then then this is your place to do mm-hmm. it. You know. Um, so I think there's pluses and minuses to there, everything. Is the, that, is the airspace um, similar in terms of how it's broken up? Roughly. Yeah, roughly. Now, now that's an interesting thing. When I came back to Australia from the US, and, and let's face it, probably probably ninety percent of my aeronautical experiences in the US. Um, when I came back here in 1991, the this airspace here was overly complex and quite different. But these days, it's pretty much at the ICAO standard. Okay. Okay. Your class A, class Alpha, class Bravo, class Charlie, all that sort of stuff. It, it's all fairly much the same. Mm-hmm. We got rid of the GAPS, which was the General Aviation Aerodrome Procedures, and then our class D. Yeah, I've yeah. heard about that. Yeah, yeah well, that's gone. Yeah. Even some of the terminologies, I, I noticed, um, for example, I, when we were at Oshkosh in uh, 2011, I noticed they're using um, decimal measurement on the ATIS and all this sort of stuff now, which I, I found interesting. Uh, they're using terminology like line up, which yeah. when I was flying over there was you know position and hold, all right. this sort of stuff. So there, there seems to be a coming together around the world. To some stuff. Yeah, yeah to yeah. some. Yeah. You do need that. Um, I, I think the U.S. system is it handles traffic better because it needs to. It's mm-hmm. it's a lot busier over there and you need to, you know, I can remember flying into places like Memphis in a 172 when you've mm. got three C10s coming in behind you. So <laughs> now you, you, you wouldn't often find that here in Australia, perhaps around Sydney where it's quite busy up there. But you wouldn't be landing a Cessna 172 at uh, K 
Kingsford. Well, that's the other thing. You couldn't afford the land, you know. Yeah. Uh, sure. Yeah. We're just not allowed. You know, you're not, unless you're declaring an emergency, you can't get into Tullamarine. You can't land uh, a light GA aircraft. Okay, there. now why is that? What is it? A, is it a restriction on aircraft? There's a, I mean, yeah. you said the landing fee was outrageous, but or, or is it actually, are you physically prohibited? They just don't allow you. Well, the air traffic controllers will tell you to go away. Yeah, <laughs> it's slot restricted pretty much. So Okay. Um, you know, so Melbourne, well, Melbourne's got Essendon Airport pretty much right next to it. So you can go in there, but, you know, to, to land a 172, for example, at Essendon Airport would run you the better part of about 70 bucks. So for a landing, for a landing, and they'll even charge you about fifty just to shoot the ILS. Um, yeah. So th- these are the, these are the sorts of issues that we face down here, and it's why many people. Uh, it's often said here that we've lost a generation because sure. young people coming out of school now, you know, they're looking at tens of thousands of dollars to to get a commercial, even well in excess of mm-hmm. you know probably a couple of hundred thousand to get all the ratings they want. Sure, um, and I'm, I'm sure it's more expensive in the US now than what it was when I was there, but you know. At the time, I remember looking at a course. I was going to go to one of the airline schools here mm-hmm. uh, where you have to buy yourself a job, basically. And I think at that time, it was going to run me the better part of about 45, 50 grand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did all the ratings that I got in the US for about 20. And that's including what like we bought an aircraft. Yeah. <laughs> so, sure. you know, it's, it's a kind of, you know, you, you put um, inflation over time and all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff into it. But I still think probably. If you went to a part, uh, was it a, uh, one of the dedicated flights? Yeah, 141. School, 141 mm-hmm. school. Um, those, those schools still these days, I think, have it all over again. I often say if I had in a perfect world and I wanted to go back and get my multi-engine, which I, I, I started but never finished, and, and just get back up to speed, I still think in a perfect world I'd probably hop on a jet, go and live in California for three months and get it all mm-hmm. done and then come back here mm-hmm. because the conversion process now is yeah. much easier than when I came back. Yeah, it's it's much more to your advantage. It sounds like. What do you, Rick? Could you imagine paying fifty dollars for every ILS that you have to shoot when in this instrument rating that you want to pursue? No way. Or and or, and or because I took long. You know, I was one of those examples where I I kind of was working and squeezing in my private you know training over time, and I, I got it done probably you know twice as long as I might have otherwise done. And and that right, I assume all that would have cost me more. You know, every yep. bit of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I did my instrument rating in a place called Pine Bluff, Arkansas. Has an ILS there, and you could shoot that all day long. Didn't mm-hmm. cost you a zack. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Here they charge you even if you don't kiss the ground. I mean, wow. some airports will charge you a touch and go fee, a landing fee, and I and if they have one, an ILS mm-hmm. shooting just coming down, following it down to the mist and going around. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so if you if you clear through an airspace, just like a Delta or something, is that involved or no? It's just it's you actively getting the pattern kind of thing. It's well, you, you've. A lot of places with an ILS will have a tower, but um, right. generally they'll be listening to, because you'll be making broadcasts as you're coming down. If the tower's closed or there's no tower, there'll be a system recording the CTAF. <laughs> and Brother is listening, yeah. so they can send you the bill. Oh, and this is a fun part, yep. is that Fred Nurk goes and grabs his plane and says, this is Tango Yankee Alpha shooting the approach, and he's actually Charlie Alpha Yeko. Ah, yep. nice. And you get a bill. Mm-hmm. And you get a bill for your Cessna 152 on the other side of the country. Yep. And there's some of the larger organizations will actually pay an admin type person to go through every now and again whenever the bill comes through mm-hmm. and compare and check and go, nah, that aircraft was not there, that aircraft was not there, that was not our fee. Mm-hmm. And they can uh, actually earn more than it costs to have somebody wow. do that. I hadn't <laughs> even thought of that. that yeah. I mean, that's a, that could be a, a serious issue. Yeah, but just say nothing of the safety aspect when you're pretending to be somebody else. I right. mean, heaven forbid something went wrong. Now they're looking for a different aircraft right. altogether, or yeah. perhaps even one that doesn't exist at all. So. Yeah, perhaps, True, that's, one, yeah. perhaps one that's not even broadcasting because you're just running silent, mm-hmm. um, doing Nordo in a con- mm-hmm. not necessarily controlled environment. But 
look, there's all sorts of things it can lead to and there's mm -hmm. some expenses and so on that you want to watch out for. Right. Um, but of course, you've also got the, situ you've also got the situation where uh, suddenly the, um, you've got to have a bureaucracy to collect these fees. Mm -hmm. And this is the other thing. You've got a great little bureaucracy set up to collect the fuel fees. It just works. Right. Those taxes ratchet it up a fraction. Everyone pay is happy to pay that mm -hmm. and you don't have to put in a new bureaucracy. Now you've got this even just $100 per filing of a flight plan for a turbine aircraft. Somebody has to set up the system to uh, implement that, mm -hmm. to monitor it, to manage it and collect from it and all that and then make sure it's – and then deal with the complaints. Mm -hmm. Well, how much is that going to cost? Oh, well, we're not making any money out of this. Let's, um, let's put the rates up you know, and let's expand it. And Oh, well, well now we've got this structure set up. And uh, the classic line, who ever heard of a bureaucracy getting smaller? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and hey, there's... Oh, sorry, yep. go ahead. No, no, go. No, I was just going to ask, uh, there, I think earlier you mentioned, somebody mentioned uh, that you, the circuits, you do the circuits uh, pattern differently. Um, what, to what extent, in what ways? Well, we're upside down. There you go, okay, there you go. In reverse. You <laughs> yeah, if you listen to Steve Tupper, he'll tell you we fly inverted everywhere. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> No, no. Different. Basically, the difference here is um, here you will fly the downwind leg, and uh, you know, in, in the United States, I was taught to pull the power back as you're coming and beam the threshold. Uh, so you've already got the power off in the U.S. as you're turning base. Here, you wouldn't do that until you're on base. So I think that leads to flying a slightly more elongated circuit. Sure. Um, but it's funny when I first started flying over there, and I'd done just some ab initio work here, um, and I'd sort of got into the routine of. Circuit after circuit after circuit, turn base, pull power back, flaps in. Mm. Um, in the United States, now I've got it in my, my instructor the first time, you know, I'm flying down and he said, well, you know, we're at the level with the runway. And I said, yeah, okay, okay. He <laughs> said, are you going to pull the power back? And I'm like, well, I'm heading away from the runway. Why would I do that? <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. But after a while, of course, you get into the routine of doing that. And mm -hmm. because I've done so much flying in the US, um, coming back here to Australia, now I've got to sort of switch mentality, you know, switch, switch my line of thinking again and, and do it the way they want it done here. Otherwise, you're going to fly a shorter circuit. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're in a controlled airport, um, that, that can be an issue. Well, for, fortunately, it's not like coming back and forth to the U.S. and driving on the left side of the road and the right side <laughs> of the road and learning something completely yeah. new and, and, and that yeah. kind of foolishness. But, but uh, yeah, that and the pre-flight inspections, uh, here they, they really, really hammer it into you. And I, I don't know what it's like in the States now. Um, well, give us an example. I can I sort of, we can, we, three of us could sort of fill you in on. Yeah, yeah well. Uh, Sorry. I was just going to close the door, the door and bump the damn desk. <laughs> we have uh, some fur, furry four-legged visitors here in the, in the studio. My wife let them out. <laughs> no, are they going to stay in? Okay, they're in. You're in, dog. So, uh, yeah. I, th I think it's more a matter of, of being thorough about it. I remember an, an instructor that I had when I, I started to do a multi-engine rating, and uh, this fellow was a Dutch guy, and um, I remember him being very, very, you know, I would start my pre-flight inspection and just be very thorough checking, rechecking and going through the whole routine as it's laid out in the pilot's operating handbook, all that sort of stuff. But he'd always be, come on, come on, hurry, 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 whereas I was always taught to be slow and methodical and check once, check twice, all mm. this sort of stuff. Well, um, that gentleman is now no longer with us um, uh, and he unfortunately perished in an aircraft accident a few years later, I found out, and he hadn't checked the fuel properly as it turns out, I think. Yeah. So uh, that's an isolated incident. That may just be my experience. Mm -hmm. But I found that most of the guys that I dealt with at that time tended to just be a little bit more brief in the way they did their inspections. Mm -hmm. um, 
that that may have just been a local thing for me. I, I hesitate to say that. Wow, we do everything better here, but that was at least my experience at okay. the time. I had some some pretty thorough instructors. All, yeah, all my instructors here have been you. You know what you guys would do like the first first check flight, the, the pre flight you do at the start of the day, mm-hmm. as opposed to the one you do when you've landed somewhere, taxied off. And what well, we do the first, the we're taught to do the daily pre flight. Every time, Every time we fly. Sure. So if you land somewhere for the $100 hamburger and you go off to get the hamburger and ask for someone to ch- top off the tanks, well, we'll get to that in a sec because that's almost impossible to do over here. Mm-hmm. So um, you come back to the aircraft, you give it a full check uh, because, hey, you never know what's happened while you've been away. Well, that's a good point. You have because yeah, you've different. been different aircraft. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I would I mean, say, I mean, Len, I don't know if you, if you guys agree, but the if, you, if it's yours, you're on a trip and you land and do something and get back in and go, you're right, it's not a full... You know, you don't do the full thing again right. generally. But if you're renting, you know, and you walk out to the plane fresh for you, you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but like, you know, if I rented an aircraft, uh, hypothetically, when I get my license, but this is some of the stuff I've done with friends. Mm-hmm. We've then gone for the $100 hamburger. We've come back and we've done a full check on it again. Mm-hmm. And it's their aircraft. Right. Yeah. The, and that's, uh, that is different. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, the other thing that I sort of hinted at and alluded there was, um, you know, asking someone to fuel their aircraft. Excuse me while I roll on the floor laughing. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you know how you guys land somewhere? <laughs> yeah, he, was, he was talking about this to me uh, yesterday. You know, yeah. Go to the FBO and oh, there's somebody. What's that? Yeah. What's, what's, no FBO. What's huh? an F- <laughs> oh, that's a fixed base operator. Um, you know, you go there and there's some guy marshalling you into park. You go in. You've got a car you can use. You're paying a bit extra for the fuel. And there's some vending machines and some the pilots. Land. Yeah, what the heck is that, man? Uh, oh, it's, it's fantastic is what it is. You know, <laughs> the only time you get that over here is if you arrive in a Learjet or a Gulfstream. Yeah. Uh, if, you're, if you're some, you know, Little Tommy Knocker will be polite um, in a um, in a GA aircraft, in a Cessna or a Piper, and you land somewhere. Mm-hmm. Self service fuel bowser is over there, and if yeah. you're lucky, it mentioned uh, on on where it is on the um, the airport diagram, which we'll come to as another thing that we have to pay for here. Every, yeah, it's the en route supplement of Australia. It's a rather large book that's good. It for is quite large. Nice. It's uh, I'm looking at it across the table. It's it's about two and a half inches thick here. It's a big mm-hmm. big supplement. Yeah, and it's got all the airports. It's got all the all the registered airports, all the um, all the uh, waypoints, and a whole lot of other information. No, well, this is for the quarterly. whole country, though, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. So that's that that does give give reason to its thickness here. Yeah, but we haven't got that many airports, so you know, it, so you could be at a place where they've got guys coming around, like a larger airport, like a Moorabbin, a training airport, an Essendon, and all that. The fuel guys will come to you. And you may have even mm-hmm. two competing companies doing it, but otherwise, here's here's the phone number or here's the frequency to call up and request fuel, and they'll come to you. But mm-hmm. if you go and land in some um, some place, it's not necessarily the Booneyville's. It could be ooh, Mildura. Mildura gets a Dash Eight service a couple of times a day, two or three times. Mm-hmm. So you've got to have one of these uh, security passes to get out onto the tarmac. But there's no fuel truck. Mm. You have to taxi over or push over to the um, the fueling area, park. Go out, figure out how how the system works. Mm-hmm. Swipe your credit card, drag it over. Uh, you've got to you know clip on your earth, plug in, fuel it yourself, and send it back. And hey, mm-hmm. we we actually pay more per gallon than you do for Avgas, and we also have user fees. Right. So yeah, you're getting into both ends. Oh, yeah, yeah. and how? But I just wanted to make the point there about the FBO. If you want to know something that's just the coolest thing about flying in the US, <laughs> it's FBOs. That's a real cultural difference between here and there. Hmm. And if only we had those here, because you, you generally don't. Okay, so why do you? Why aren't there? Because there's just many, many or okay, it's just uh, yeah, a it's sheer just, frequency. Thing. It's just not the market for it yeah. here. I think the the aviation community here is very small. 
Um, there is, in fact, our local airport about uh, 10, 15 miles from here. They do a pretty good job of it, actually. Mm-hmm. But they're probably an exception. Okay. Um, and, you know, the, there's so many more pilots. It's You can go to an airport and you can sit around and just embrace aviation. I found you can do that a lot more in the United States. Here it's a little bit more – it's it's one of the reasons we started our podcast because it's a little bit more elitist over here. I find generally mm-hmm. that's a wide sweeping generalization, but I don't find that sort of um, culture that I that I was raised in, if you like, in the US mm-hmm. with 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 uh, with regard to aviation. Mm-hmm. And if it's one thing that we'd really like to do here with our podcast, it's to try and bring a bit of sure. that attitude over here and and to get people to embrace aviation a bit more and not just see it as you know, a necessary evil if you want to fly to Sydney. Right, right. Uh, we need people to really uh, become more interested and, and just get that real buzz for aviation mm-hmm. that, that I found exists far more widely in the U.S. Mm-hmm. I wish it were here. Yeah. I like the, you know, one of the, the great aspects of the community is it's very, uh, it's like your family. And I was, it's kind of funny because I was talking to Teresa and we were, we, uh, Grant was gracious to let us spend the night at his place because we were on that side of the city uh, the other night. And I said to Teresa, I was like, you know, I don't know these guys from a hole in the wall. They're a couple of, you know, a couple of dudes who do an aviation podcast on the other side of the uh, other side of the planet. I've never met them. And, you know, here they are inviting us over for dinner and spend the night. And, and it's just one of those things like pilots always take in stray pilots. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But in true Air Services Australia fashion, don't worry, your call sign has been registered yeah. and the bill will be... <laughs> <laughs> Now, let's see. That was a landing fee on the couch and on the bed. Good there was the utilization of equipment that shot the ILS into the uh, shower. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there are those fun things. But uh, you, you mentioned something when we were talking. Uh, we'll get into this uh, ERSA here in a minute. But uh, you talk about uh, security badges. Um, and, and he's holding up a security badge. And it's actually two, if you will. Uh, the first is from the Australian Government Civil Aviation Safety Authority, and it's a, it's a photo of Grant here. Um, Scary photo. And then the one is for the local airport that you actually yeah. fly out of. So do you require both the basically the national and the local? Uh, most A lot of local airports like Lilydale and uh, Coldstream where we were out in the valley do not require a local one. They're, okay. they're fine. Okay. In fact, they, you don't even really need an ASIC for some of those ones. But a pilot must have must, 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 a federal identification, either the full ASIC, Australian Security Identification. Sure. So, sorry, I'll start that again. The ASIC, which is the Aviation Security Identification Card, which means you've had a full background check from the federal government, okay. the police, and all blah, 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 blah. Um, that means that you're not a terrorist, well, as far as they know. As far as they know. Um, but you can also get an AVID, which I think is an Aviation Identification badge, which means you haven't quite gone through as much of a check. Mm-hmm. You can't. The AVID is just required for all pilots. If you're a pilot, GA pilot, you must have an AVID, no matter where you're flying. If you want to go into a security-controlled area, basically, um, you'll see them at most airports around most airlines. You've probably got one, Lynn, a similar one. It's a similar sort of standard. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't see mine at the moment because I've sent it off to be renewed. So <laughs> at great expense. Well, here's, here's the thing, right, Mildura. Two or three RPT services a day, dash eight. Um, Q400s come in and out. Maybe you might get a couple of Saab SF340s. There's not a lot of traffic there on the commercial level, on that that regional level. Every inch of that tarmac is secured. Mm -hmm. You must have an ASIC. We've got the uh, security access doors. We've got the big fences. Uh, From the airside area, you have a little sign which says this is what the security Mm -hmm. code is to get back in, of course. Uh, So you've got all that kind of action going on. 
Moorabbin, the training airport that I fly out of, has the same thing going on. Mm. That has um, it has an area of tarmac which is marked off, which you can't go into without your ASIC showing. Um, that's where um, the Bandarante pulls mm-hmm. up for um, for King Island Airways. It's it's a Bandarante, you know. Hello, it's not huge, mm-hmm. but because of that and because of the general paranoia and and security issues and security theatre, they've said you've got to have an ASIC. The other this Morabin localized one. This actually allows me to also access the um, the security gates. So it's a swipe card, prox- proximity card that will right. allow me to go through, whereas the ASIC is just an ID. Just an ID, yeah. It has no proximity, whereas the sure. Morabin one has that. And right, that- that's what I was saying. So you need basically the, the Morabin one is for your local airport where you most frequently operate out yeah. of. That's why you have one there. Not every airport has it. Like right, I said, right. You know, like yeah. Turretin near here, um, up in the valley with uh, with Coldstream and, and Lilydale don't have to have their own mm-hmm. card. Uh, so yeah, the the um, the other benefit of the uh, the Morabin one is the, the little words along the top which say airside driver authority, oh. which means I'm allowed to take a vehicle and drive airside. Is that because of retrieving balloons? Ah, uh, okay. I was going <laughs> to say that's not something that's very. It's not common to most you know badge holders. No, no, no okay. it's it's because I'm allowed to actually take a vehicle on and uh, retrieve a balloon. Right. So I have to do a test and. A renewal and right. all this kind of bureaucratic okay. stuff to prove that I'm allowed to do it. So, so the big thing is though the ASICs. So, if there's any form of RPT into the area, or if the now what's RPT again? Sorry, region, um, regular, regular public transport. Okay, yeah, regular, also referred to as the regionals. Uh, but if there's any form of that going on, and if you've or if the management of the airport are, um, shall we say, anal retentive, um, paranoid, they will make you have an ASIC, and there will be large areas saying must have ASIC to go on mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff. So you got that happening. You then also have um, we have drunk sorry drug <laughs> drunk it. <laughs> I did what? Uh, so we have drug and alcohol management program mm-hmm. uh, introduced within the last three years or so. Uh, CASA can come and ramp check you, not just for your documentation, but also blow in the bag, sir. Uh, hmm. So hypothetical, you could have had a beer at the hangar, gone. Oh, I left my sunglasses at the aircraft. Go back to the aircraft to get your sunnies. They ramp check you and bust you because you're going to go fly mm-hmm. on suspicion. It's sort of like in the states where if you have beer in the car inside the passenger area that is unopened, they'll still bust you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's been a bit of hue and cry about that, and they've backed off a little on those things. You've got to actually be seen to have your sure or your gear to go intent and start operating yeah, and all yeah, that no, good like, stuff. Sure. So yeah. so yeah, it's that's that's the the drug and alcohol management policy. I'm actually um, one of our damp offices. It's okay. not a damp, so I, I'm, I'm a little damp at our office. So. <laughs> <laughs> Look after all that aspect for that. Okay, that that's one of the one of the things though that that's just. That and all the high wire fences around these airports. I can remember going to Moorabbin Airport that we talk about with my father many, many when I was a kid. And you could just walk out and you could get your hands on, you could, you know, they'd come out and let you sit in the seat and get your hands on the airplane. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's all about building a dream with these kids. Well, this sort of thing that Grant's talking about, it just serves to just detract from that a little. Sure. I see. And I, I, see I see, I guess it's probably the same in the US with all this security theatre. It's it's just gone right around the world, but mm-hmm. it's yeah. it's unfortunate. Don't forget, man. I can you know like we've it's proven a number of times that GA aircraft, yeah, it causes more damage to the people inside haven't than the building seen, and all seen, that. Yeah, yeah, and you know bounces off or gets stuck in it or whatever. But uh, hey, I can go and rent a truck, and I don't need anything but a license, mm-hmm. and I can rent a truck and I can shove that sucker full of fertilizer, fertilizer. and diesel fuel. <laughs> oh yeah, baby, and I can go park it wherever I want and go boom boom. And that you can, that you can. You know, that's in the US, that's here in Australia, and that's the idiocracy of this whole security mm-hmm. theater. They're they're 
pandering to the people to make it look like things are being done securely. I mean, you got airport watch programs, you got people know what's going on and they can report something suspicious if you want to get paranoid. But it's yeah, it's just gone. Yeah, it That's could be a little dogs. <laughs> <laughs> just turned up to the front door. Sorry, it, it can be it can be a little you know. No, it's going to get noisy for a second. Okay, <laughs> sorry guys. That's okay. You you guys were you know I heard you mention talking about flying Cessnas and Pipers has has sport pilot taken off is that a thing yeah. you know in Australia sport pilot and sport aviation that was that LSA talk we had at the start about recreational aviation Australia and the right. light ones the two seaters yeah. and all that um, yeah that's huge you got your vector sports stars you got your um, yeah like all those kind of ones you got um, the storks the God uh, there's just a bazillion and one of them. Uh, it's 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 really taking off and growing, so we can mention that one again. But um, that the regional aspect is just going gaga. Mm-hmm. So what was it I was talking about? It was the dog problem contained. It had. Uh, what was it? It was. Um, oh yeah. So you can you know rent a truck and yeah you know go and park it and go boom boom and and that's the same in the US as it is over here and it's it's. You know, it's the security theater. It's politicians being seen to make changes and reacting without actually assessing the impacts and what they're actually trying to do. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's nice to know that Australia and the US are very similar in that respect. We've got idiotic politicians who pander to the public good and don't actually do a risk assessment and a cost-benefit mm-hmm. analysis and, God forbid, actually think about things because <laughs> that would get in the way. So, you know, we're, we're just as crazy down here with the politicians as sure. you guys there. It's sure. just... Although if you've listened to Parliament here in Australia, it's um, kindergarten is more controlled than Parliament in Australia. It's actually, <laughs> it's, actually it's a national embarrassment it's at embarrassment. the moment. Oh, yeah. it really is. It, it's just disgusting. Mm-hmm. Um, you just want to go in there and smack them all senseless mm-hmm. and hit them with a bat and tell them to you know calm the heck down and grow up mm-hmm. and behave. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind but, of scary. But it's not all bad. It really is a nice place here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, know, of, of, you make it sound so bad. I'll, you know, wait till I get started. I mean, of, of the 12 most venomous steaks in the world, I think we've got eight of them here. Um, you know, we, got, we were running through all that for, yeah, that for Rick and Teresa yeah. last night <laughs> over a beer. We were like, okay, now when you're traveling up there, watch out for the funnel webs and all this kind of stuff, which is sort of like a tarantula gone mm-hmm. nuts. And yeah, so we were running through that and they were just sitting there going, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, we're getting like the Australian cliff notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All this, that, and the other. But, uh, you know, on, on the talk of security, and I want to ask uh, my co-host here, um, Rick and Sean, but uh, Rick, yeah. you, you fly out of, did you have to get any sort of, uh, I know we don't have, you know, federal or national security clearance badges, you know, like this one you have from, um, you know, the Australian government and CASA. Um, but how about from your, just your local airport authority, uh, Rick, did you? Yeah. You, you have an ID have of Norwood? Yeah, yeah. I, have, I have an ID that is good for Norwood, and I think it's good at uh, Hanscom as well, but maybe okay. not. Or maybe it's and, like favored nation status, like I can show it and have them not freak out. But yeah, I need that to get, you know, basically to get out on the tarmac. Okay. So who was that essentially uh, issued by? Was that the well, Norwood Airport Authority, or is that like a state of Massachusetts? It's a state thing. Norwood, you go into an office at Norwood to do it, but they send it out and it gets made by somebody centrally. So I think it's done uh, state by state. So, and then at that point, you just told them what airports you're either doing flight training out of or operating out of, and yeah. that's why sort of like focused on Nor. Because yeah, you know, I need, it, it's, it's like state. I go into the place and say, hi, I want to have access to your tarmac because I'm going to be 
training here, uh, and that airport requests the state to make the the ID, but it is for Norwood. It says OWD on it. Okay, I guess because I'd be curious if it was at the state level, why that wouldn't, and and then I would actually go into having a federal one. But at the state level, I guess I wonder why it wouldn't give you access to all the other the airports that participate or the other airport you know, authorities. I may jump off while, while you keep talking and look at the look at it. I don't, have, <laughs> I don't have my bag in this room, but I could check it because I've never looked closely at it. But because um, usually I'm starting there and ending there, and you know, if you got something hanging around your neck, generally at most places that's enough. They don't even that's look a- at it. Uh, Grant, you were. What did you want to oh, I was just going to say it's the one thing they got right here is they went with a federal Fe- identification. Okay. And, and sure, I've got the local airport one, but that's mostly for access to get out to an aircraft. Right. Whereas if I landed there and parked in the designated transit Right, yeah, you wouldn't zone, need that because you, no. you have the local one for more of a uh, owner-operator standpoint because like you said, you I'm park regular. balloon equipment out there and you have a, you know, yeah, stuff I'm, that you I'm need to get access to. Right? And, all that, and I f- sure. fly fixed wings out sure. of it. But I can go to any airport with my ASIC and, and they'll clear me and it's a fine. I'll, I'll land, I'll have this proudly bearing, yeah. you know, wearing it type thing and I'll go up, I'll get the code and I'll go through mm-hmm. and go do what i got to do, come back out to my plane, key the code and fuel up and disappear. Disappear, sure. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Sean? Do you have any sort of uh, where you've been renting or where you did flight instruction out of? Um, right. At, uh, airport? at the last... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Len. I was just saying, did we, was it an airport authority badge or any sort of local ID? Not at the last place. I flew. It was an on-towered airport um, and there really wasn't too much in the way of security. I mean, you know, it's kind of one of those deals where it's such a tight knit community and and in most places of general aviation, I think this is probably the atmosphere. It's so tight knit that everyone there pretty much knows everybody else. So if there's someone there that doesn't belong there, everyone knows it because they can, they can spot it unless of course there's nobody around. Um, now more recently where I've moved to uh, Lexington, um, it is a towered airport and you do need a, uh, a badge. And I honestly haven't gotten around to doing that yet. It's on my list of things to do, but there is a local badge that you'd have for the airport here. Yeah. Yeah, when um, when I was flight instructing in uh, out of Lynchburg, Virginia, we had one just because we were an employee of uh, you know the FBO and the flight school. We had just a you know a Lynchburg Airport Authority badge, but for you know for general renters, you didn't need that kind of badge for access, uh, like you were talking about, Grant. If you just pop in for a stop and go or something, or park on the ramp and go do something and come back, no big deal. But it was mostly for um, owners and operators that were there at the airport. And again, it gave you gate access uh, to certain gates. Uh, we didn't have driving privileges, uh, so we could only access a couple of different gates that would get you to certain hangar areas, but it wouldn't get you to other stuff uh, inside the airport security area. But, you know, and it, I don't know, maybe maybe the federal one is a, is a wiser one, if you will, because it is, like you said, there's an actual background, uh, a higher level background check that's associated with it. The only problem is, of course, the cost. The cost, uh, sure. If you're under 18, it costs $102 to get an ASIC that will expire six months after your 18th birthday. Uh, oh, that's lovely. Yeah, so because once you turn 18, you're immediately a terrorist, of course. Uh, <laughs> yeah. When you first... Or thought it was the other way around. Yeah, I know. Well, no, <laughs> you can just call them teenagers and everyone explain, understands they will not sagely, but... Uh, the, when you first get an ASIC, the first time you go and get an ASIC, it costs, with the fuel, full security check, 196 Australian dollars, mm-hmm. which is around 190 US dollars. Sure. Then every time you renew it and it expires, I think it expires every two years. Mm. So it's a, every two years you need to get it. And that is $186. 
So every two years, you're spending about 180 bucks US. Well, he saved $11. Oh, mate, yeah. It <laughs> tells you how much uh, effort they put into that federal security check. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, um, it's every two years. So every two years, you're paying 180 US dollars. That is quite, uh, quite a sum. Just song. for your ID. Yeah, just for the ID. Yeah. Plus, any, you know, if, if your airport has one, it's, it's going to cost a bit more. And, yeah. You know, and that's, that's just your ID. Uh, then of course you're paying more than you guys are per gallon for Avgas, sure. And you're paying your user fees of your touch and go fees, your landing fees, your um, you know, as, and all these kind of things and all those fees we talked about, <laughs> airways fees and all that kind of stuff. For if you're filing ILS or doing um, you know filing instrument flight plans, things like that, you get charged an airways fee. Um, so you get all those kind of fees and you're adding it all up. And but you guys get your own private air traffic controllers, right? For oh, each of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. ATC Ben is my personal friend. In fact, he will get quite personal with me if I ever bother to bother him when I'm flying my balloon. So, so, so Lena, I grabbed my ID, and um, yep. it's just interesting. It is, it, it is the largest letters on it are OWD for Norwood. It says Norwood Memorial Airport. It actually has the name of the school I was a student at because they keep, as accurate as this is, they reprinted. It was easier to just to reprint the one when I renewed it. So it still mm-hmm. says student on it. So that that's very funny. Um, but 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 on the back, if you read it, it is a it is access to all general public use general aviation airports in Massachusetts. So it's state based. Okay. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Out of you know, if you find it, return it to Westfield, Mass. Yeah, so that's it, where they never charged you for that. Did you pay? No, a fee I had to, yeah, I had, to, I had to pay, and I think yeah, it wasn't. I don't remember. It wasn't a lot, but it, it wasn't two hundred dollars. I don't think it was two. It might have been one. <laughs> it might have been one. But um, really. That much? Uh, maybe, or I don't know. I don't quote me, but That's I will say that I'm pretty sure I had to show them some stuff like a passport. Oh, I mean, like just like all all flight schools yeah. now sort of re- require just, that you prove. Yeah, that's your, right. That's right. Paperwork you're not a terrorist. Get. So. Yeah. yeah, you got a whole lot of paperwork and proof to do for the ASIC and all that. But right. I mean, bad luck if you go fly over the border to New Hampshire, but we won't go there. Oh, <laughs> my gosh, yes. <laughs> I mean, it could state. be worse. We could be in New Zealand where it's even more expensive, or I, I, I think Europe is pretty yes. expensive. Europe wins, hands down. Yeah. Do they? They're yeah, the worst yeah. for me, oh, too, yeah. yeah. But, they, uh, you know, the, the idea when they brought all these user fees in was that it was supposed to that was money that was supposed to be funneled back into improving aviation. I, I don't know whether it really has. Um, and a lot of it goes into consolidated <laughs> revenue. So, yeah, which it, means a little yeah. suspect. And because the, the pilot community here is very small, so they don't have a lot of um, uh, electoral pull sure. with politicians. So, yeah. um, you know, that's it's just the way it is. But, you know, flying is still fun here. you just got to have a lot of dollars to do yeah. it. Yeah. It's just, you know, the old equation of dollars burned versus um, the federal Dollars burned gives you the power to go forward against the federal drag. You know, it's not it's not slipstream drag or anything. It's mm-hmm. actually the Fed's holding back. Well, you just got to th- the Fed's hold you back more, so you got to chuck more dollars in. But uh, you know, it's I mean, the, the the other problem is that because now it's more expensive, a few guys go, I'm not going to fly anymore, or they go fly out in the country, or they go become lunatics or things like that, and suddenly you've got even less people to share the cost mm-hmm. of maintaining that runway, so the user fees go up. Go up. Yeah, it's interesting here that um, one of the things we've seen with Grant talked before about RAOs, which is basically LSA category here, sport. Yeah, that is becoming much more popular here because it's a, a different body that oversees it. They've still got to have accreditation with CASA, but they pretty much have their own set of regulations, their own medical. It is, and you can avoid a lot of these user fees if you choose to stay out of certain you know, 
pieces of airspace. Okay. And, so um, it's not, you, you can find oh, some fru- frugal ways to still fly here. Absolutely. And the good thing about RAOs, and it's probably the same with LSA, I guess, in the States, is that any hours you log in that category still go towards your overall overall experience. Yeah. So what we're finding here now is a lot of ab initio students are going down that path, getting up to a certain point, And then when it's time to move up, they've already got those hours. Mm-hmm. If they want to move off into a GA license, they've already got that basic grounding. And let's face it, the LSA category, the technology of those aircraft, in many cases, far exceeds the the GA fleets, the the older, yeah. you know. Yeah, that's. I think that's what it sounded like you were talking about earlier with some yeah. of the differences between some of the older 172s and and, mm. and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The so, new Technums, the new sure, um, yeah. Sports Stars, get, you know, some glass cockpits in oh. there, and mm-hmm. you go to you go to the um, the RAOs and Sport Association meets they happen once a year they have nat fly at easter mm-hmm. and then they have uh Ozfly for the sport guys and there's some sexy little aircraft out there that mm-hmm. are you know that they'll leave a 172 coughing in the in the wake you know <laughs> it's like and they're just carrying two people plus luggage but they are fanging around the place mm-hmm. uh you know it's 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 where the action is it's where the cool is it's because you don't have to have 28 volumes of 10 kilos each paperwork to verify that that nut and bolt is correct to go on that aircraft mm-hmm. you know so you you're bypassing things. You take a little risk, or you you cut back on your. Um, you know, it's not fully certified, but it's still good. In fact, sometimes better. Yeah. And you can't carry more than two people and a bit of luggage. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what most people want. And by the time you're ready to go for more, if you want to start getting into a Cherokee Six, a Bonanza, things like that, then yeah, you'll go and trade up. But you know, like the hangar where we store some of our gear at Lilydale Airport, um, it's got it's got a Mooney, it's got a Bonanza, it's got a Cherokee Six. Uh, it's got a Tiger Moth and uh, even a Victor Air Tour, you know, and a couple other aircraft mm-hmm. in there, not just Cessnas. And, you know, there's there's a couple of um, Bonanzas kept in and even a, um, I think there's a Baron in various hangars out there um, operating out of this grass airfield. And uh, that's a private airfield. You've got to get permission to operate from there. But it's booming. It's mm-hmm. going pretty well. And it's sidestepping a lot of the issues of coming into Moorabbin where the big training schools are. And let's face it, the way a lot of people are going these days is they go and sell their soul to the airline for five or ten years. We'll say five years, I think most of them operate on. And just like becoming an air traffic controller, you have to have a training bond. Mm-hmm. They bring you up to be speed as an air traffic controller, but then you've got to work for them for five years to pay it back. Uh, if you leave before five years, you've got to pay them a chunk of money. Right. Same with the airlines. Uh, Regional Express are doing this with their training co- uh, school and very. Uh, I think it's at Wagga. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, sorry, Wagga Wagga. Wagga Wagga. Uh, <laughs> You're allowed to call that just Wagga. But they, you basically sign your uh, life away and you are their um, <coughs> slave for a, at least five years, but you get yourself into the right-hand seat of a regional. Mm-hmm. Saab SF340, things like that. And they'll take you from nothing all the way through and you'll do your training with them. Qantas did a cadet scheme some time ago and a friend of mine who's now a uh, Qantas first officer on the A380 went through that scheme they didn't have any placements. He went back into reality, mucked around for a bit. A year or two later, they called him up and he did a refresher and then mm-hmm. wound up working his way up through to 747s and now A380s. So, you know, you, you it's basically, I think that's the way that a lot of airlines are going to wind up getting their people because kids aren't able to come in off the street. It's costing too much to do sure. it. So are they, um, when they're in the service of that airline, are they being paid a salary as well or are they just essentially paying back what the airline's already invested in them? You it's get a, a bit of both. Yeah, yeah. you get a smaller, okay. you still get a salary, you got to live. But right, you know, right. it's not quite as bad as flipping burgers, but it's not enough that you're going to go out and buy the Maserati just yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. But you're going to be being paid to fly, you'll still get, you'll get a survival salary and 
because you're um, working at that lower rate, you're paying back your training and things like that. So it's right. not like, without all the loans. Yeah, so exactly. Not, yeah, and it's not like joining the military. Some of them will, will right. pay, some will pay half. You pay half. Some will pay all. Uh, it just depends on the airline, the cadet scheme, all that kind of stuff. And it's a lot like joining the military. You know, you, you go get taught by the air force. You owe them five years. Right. That yeah. kind huh. of. So yeah. it's the same. Same. Yep. Yep. Or you know you could do what what I do and join the railways and they they pay you to learn it and you earn a pretty good salary out of it. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, we're not but it can be that. You know, it's. Um, I mean, I teach people to drive trains. It's 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 not nearly as cool as flying, but uh, <laughs> it's kind of cool to drive a three hundred ton machine around. So. Yeah, yeah and, and, and then he tells me about you know the hours he works, the pay he makes, and I'm sitting there. You know, <laughs> I'm off at dawn to do an inspection on a balloon. I'm I'm like doing hours and hours and hours of work, and this train will go past where my office is, and I'll suddenly get this tweet, and it's Steve saying. How's it going, boy? <laughs> I've just done my fourth hour of actual work, but my sixth hour of paid work. How are you doing? <laughs> That's kind of the opposite of the airline world, I guess. Yeah, for, the, yeah. for the most part. Anyway. They've, they've got a good, let's just say they've got a good union for now. Yeah, for now. <laughs> um, yeah so a little, bit, uh, a little bit earlier we talked about, and you handed me this book I'm holding here, the ERSA, URSA, URSA. which is... I almost liken it to the equivalent of an airport facility directory, an AFD. However, as we mentioned earlier, this is the entire country yeah. in this one publication. Yep. Um, but it does look a little bit different to me, meaning it looks, I mean, it's still kind of an airport facility directory with CTAFT information, uh, NOTAMs, runway length and numbers and that kind of stuff but um, there's a lot more than that in it yeah what else what else is in this that's not necessarily in an american airport facility director right well um one of the classics is down the back you've got sections on survival guides okay. um how to uh survive if you're flying in the bush and come down how to do a search pattern uh that's a classic piece in there uh let's see what are, just looking at the table of contents <laughs> i'm cheating uh <laughs> You know, pre and post flight pilot services ready reference guide. So various frequencies, and that's where you get a lot of the air. It tells you how to read what you get. It's the, it's the cheat guide. Um, unre- uncertified or unregistered aerodromes and certified and registered aerodromes. You've got all that kind of stuff in here. Of course, you've got um, a list of pr- prohibited areas and restricted areas. Every single one, every single uh, PZ and RZ is, is in here and danger areas and all that kind of stuff that can be activated and deactivated by NOTAMs. So if you look on a map and you see R172 or whatever, you can go and find it in here, find out what its normal activation times are and if it's activated by a NOTAM or just you know every Friday between 3 and 4 in the afternoon, don't go there because somebody's carrying booze through for the military or something. You know? um, so you've so, got all that kind you know, of stuff. Just out of curiosity for an example like that, because that would be something that we would find generally on the backside of our sectional. Yeah, it would give us you know, the information, the operating hours or you know, controlling agency. And, and I'm looking at one of your... You know, one of your aeronautical charts here is that lad particular information like airspace. Uh, it's marked out on it. It's marked, but you actually have to go into this reference, this URSA book, yep. to find that. Okay. Yeah, because what you'll see Still is what you know, uh, that leads, <laughs> of course, to something that's coming. Yeah, uh, we have we have an iPad version. We'll come to that in a bit. But as you can see here, you've got two air, airport areas. This is this is the um, the visual terminal chart. So this is the terminal approach control area. For Melbourne and Adelaide, so you got no back of the chart. 
because the yeah, on the back I of the chart is another chart. There's another chart. <laughs> for another area. That's and Adelaide's, you know, a few hours, is a one-hour flight in a, in a 737 from here. So uh, you've got those things happening. So, yeah, you, you flick to the URSA. Um, you've also got uh, the list of all the IFR and VFR waypoints in Australia. They're all there. Um, some decoders, you know, how to go. And it takes you, so you can take a, um, an airport code and find out what airport it is or, or a, an airport name and find out what code it should have, things like that. But then they've also got these interesting things about special procedures and, and uh, route flight planning requirements. So it's got a ready reference guide to help you go through and do a whole lot of things. Okay. Uh, in addition to that whole safety thing about, you know, um, how to survive if you come down in the desert and, or the bushland or tiger country, all that kind of stuff, the, the emergency procedures and so on, it's all, it's all in here as supposedly a handy reference um, as opposed to – so this is supposed to be in the cockpit with you at all times. There's the URSA. As opposed to our version of the FAR AIM, which is the Air and Nautical Information Pack, mm-hmm. which is a ring binder full of stuff. Um, and that's boring legal stuff. <laughs> I keep hearing my iPad, Grant. Well, yeah. So um, Steve's got an iPad here, and Grant has uh, the equivalent of a backpack full of books and charts. It's <laughs> using as a visual demonstration here to show me what's you know what I'm looking at. Exactly, what's different and that here. was that was the thing was like. <laughs> You, you're supposed to have maps and charts. Well, mm-hmm. they're costing twelve, fifteen dollars each, mm-hmm. or the subscription because they come out quarterly. So you got to be up to, like in the states, you got to be sure. up to date. But you don't have to have the chart for Adelaide if you're never going to go there. Right. But I, um, if I'm back into my fixed wing flying, I'll be having the Melbourne and the Victorian kind of areas. But you've got the planning chart of Australia, which comes out twice a year, and that tells you which maps you're probably going to need. It shows the whole country. Mm-hmm. But then you've got the en route low and the en route high. The en route low is all your Victor routes. Sure. The en route high is all your um, the jet routes, the IFR. Um, you know, I follow not the I follow roads, but the uh, the proper instrument. Mm-hmm. Uh, routes in the sky type of thing. So you've got all those different ones. You've got wax, you've got the terminal charts, you've got the visual navigation charts, which are the ones for the greater area. So you might get three or four of them covering the whole state okay. of Victoria, you know, all that kind of stuff. Well, they've pretty much got the same names. So, you know, you're talking about terminal mm-hmm. charts and whack charts and all that good stuff. So. Yeah, pretty yeah. much the same. Yeah. Pretty and you can get JEP charts here too. If you're, a, yeah. if you're into JEP charts, you can get all those here too. So. Okay. Yeah. And the, I mean, like the VTC here, the terminal area charts are one to five hundred thousand or one to seven hundred thousand, depending on where you're looking at. Um, you know, they've, they've got all different um, ratings. Uh, like the vi- visual terminal chart here is one to two hundred and fifty thousand. So they've all got different zooms mm. and different aspects and what they're showing you. But you've got to maintain your charts, and then you've got to maintain the URSA, and you've got to maintain the AIP and the departure <laughs> approach procedures, the DAP, and all that kind of stuff that goes on, um, or Leading straight on to Mr. Techno Geek with <laughs> I'm, a I'm getting iPad. depressed just listening to you, Grant. It's yeah. not that bad, really. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's kind of funny. I'm the geek. I'm the computer nerd, and I don't have an iPad because I have an Android. But anyhow. <laughs> it's okay. We're, uh, we won't fault you for that. We know, we, we know there's some of you Android pilots out there. So. Yeah. <laughs> can't all be perfect, can we? <laughs> it's all right. Yeah. Uh, so what, what on, you know, how, what are you, how are you using or what, what distribution methods are they giving you this stuff on your iPad? Well, and a disclaimer because they're a major sponsor of our show here, but uh, there are, there's a couple of really good uh, uh, iPad apps here and, and we recommend Oz Runways, um, not only because they sponsor us, but it's a fantastic fantastic application. It's very similar to ForeFlight. Yeah, think. I'm looking at it now visually. It kind of has a, yeah. a ForeFlight uh, Yeah, It's feel. the Aussie ForeFlight is the yeah. best way of describing yeah. it. Yeah, so basically... Um, there's a lot of um, changes going on at the moment where they're, they're talking about at a legislative level allowing more of this sort of thing into the cockpit 
as a weight saving. A lot of the airlines, I think the major airlines here now are sort of going this way. Okay. Um, just, just as a weight saving, if nothing else. You can actually use that. You're allowed to use that in place of charts. However, it must be put away on approach. Um, oh, so okay. as you're coming into land, you must put it away. You can't have it on your yoke mound or I anything. See. And um, I don't know that Oz Runways is officially approved at this point. It's not yet, but all these sorts of things are sort of heading that way. And I okay. think over time, I hadn't even thought of that because we've we've kind of really adopted the EFB and electronic flight bags so quickly, especially the iPad and the software in the US. Mm-hmm. Hadn't even considered that you guys are going through your own trials and tribulations and. You know, we have people to. People are using it. Well, yeah, people are using it, but you got a few different restrictions than uh, you know than what we're. Well, technically, so if they far. ramp check you, you still have to have the paperwork. But now they're just getting to the point where if they ramp check you and you got Oz Runways or Av Plan, which is the other one that <clears throat> advertises with us, um, and is one of the it's the other big one. Um, there's a couple other small smaller ones. They're mm-hmm. starting to get to the point where you can actually, so long as you can show it's updated and you've got everything there, it's still very early days. It's still coming along. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a way to go, but yeah. It's working out. Okay, so the, you, you know you guys have some similar, like I said, EFB type applications down there. That's pretty cool. Uh, you know, kind of before we wrap up here, what la- I mean, is there anything else we haven't sort of touched upon that's kind of you know major difference between the U.S. and, and Australian flying you know, regulation oh, wise, flying. price wise? <laughs> yeah, not this isn't the beer podcast. I was about We're to say Tim Tams and beer. <laughs> We're doing that one later on tonight. The Tim Tams and beer podcast is after dinner. <laughs> Zang. I think generally speaking, flying wise, as I said before, it's it's everything seems to be coming to a more common standard around yeah, the world. Yeah. It, it's certainly. Um, it's certainly, for for example, when I came back to Australia, the airspace for cruising levels was split four ways. I mean, it was really confusing. Well, now that's all gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, to me, it, and just getting back into flying seriously now, it, it, there are, it seems to me things are much more like they, like I learned in the US now, mm-hmm. which suits me. But I also think that it's a more efficient system than it was before. Yeah. Um, all airspace in Australia is managed out of two, two centers, which is kind of interesting. Uh, so they they basically split the country in half, and you have Melbourne Centre and Brisbane Centre, and they basically handle everything remotely all around the country. So, well, air traffic control in Australia uh, is responsible for approximately one fifth of uh, the global airspace. So one right. fifth of the surface, uh, surface and, and air above it is managed by Australia. But the biggest chunk we were talking yesterday is, uh, or at least I understood it to be the oceanic, the you know transatlantic and all that yeah. kind of stuff, because because. Continent-wise, and based on what you guys are saying about the, you know, the smaller pilot population, to control one-fifth of the world's, you know, airspace, they're obviously not just taking care of all the Cessnas locally, you know. So oh, no, you're that's, talking more oceanic. We're, we're talking and, everything. Yeah, everything. International right? flights. Yeah. Um, from from where? From New Zealand to Australia and back, from across the Pacific coming through, um, from the island hopping through to the U.S. flights. Uh, all the Middle East carriers coming down to Australia, transiting our airspace, going yeah. direct to New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a lot, lot of, of military, military yeah. traffic too. You know, a lot yeah. of lot of the big. I mean, a lot of U.S. forces come in and out of Australia quite mm-hmm. often, so we see a Drones. lot of military traffic. <laughs> Drones allegedly. Ah, uh, no, they've got photos of them happening. The the um, the big um, global hawks mm-hmm. and, and the the uh, Tritons operating out of um, Edinburgh and places like that. So down in Adelaide. So down the bottom of the of the country, uh, but yeah, it's there's a lot goes on and a lot of commercial airline stuff as well, and uh, you know, a lot of interactions with Indonesia, with India, Sri Lanka, um, like Qantas during World War II used to have the um, the longest continu- uh, commercial flight 
Uh, it was mostly military couriers and people like that and the VIPs on board. And it would take a Catalina out of Perth mm-hmm. and it was known as the Order of the Double Sunrise because you would see two sunrises as you flew up up to Sri Lanka, I think it was, and, and India. And uh, that was the longest continuous running flight ever. It was the Order of the Double Sunrise mm-hmm. and was one way of getting people up back to the UK without going through a lot of the uh, more contested areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, there's it's a big empty both internally and around us. We're a very long way from any, anywhere, as uh, Len can attest to with that uh, rather long <laughs> flight from LA. Uh, yeah, 14 hours just from LA. Yeah, yeah to, to all, quite, all across the ocean. Yeah. There's, no, there's, there's really no stitch of uh, earth anywhere. I mean, yeah. a, couple of, a couple of small islands. I don't even know if you could inhabit or land on one. Yeah, well, you could crash on one, but trust, I don't know trust, if you could land on one. Trust me, I've done that trip a lot of times, and the older you get, the longer it gets. <laughs> yeah. To quote Steve on our last trip over when we went over to Oshkosh, uh, I'm looking at the in-flight map and uh, we're just coming up on um, Fiji and mm-hmm. Nandi and I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. I love these. I bummed around the Pacific a bit. And Steve looks over and goes, are we there yet? And <laughs> we haven't even gone a quarter of the way. I mean, uh, like, like I said to you the other day, to to go from Melbourne to um, Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia or across to Bali or Thailand or things like that, you've got to go across Australia. So you're going diagonally from Melbourne down the bottom up across to the mm-hmm. top northwest area. That's four hours mm-hmm. in a triple seven at Mark 0.8.85 type mm-hmm. of thing. You're, you're, you've got a lot of country to cross, big empty, amazing views during the day, pretty impressive at night even. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of airspace to control, a lot of em- it's empty. We've got ADSB above 30,000. By the end of this year will be an official thing for any aircraft operating above 30,000 feet. Right now, most of them have it. Most of the, All the Australian ones do. Most of the international visitors do. Mm-hmm. And that allows you to have better separation and you know closer standards, things like that. Mm-hmm. But it, that's above 30,000 feet. Once that's law, they're going to start introducing it lower and lower. Mm-hmm. And we'll see how it goes. But we're, it's in place. It's in use. We've got... Uh, the um, GPS approaches, uh, you know, hands off, zero visibility landing, all GPS controlled. Uh, they That's cool. Yeah, they introduced a couple into Melbourne and they found, I was talking to the air traffic controllers out there when I popped out to say hi, and they found that they had to introduce, uh, they, they changed the approach path and they introduced some changes and so on because what was happening was in the past, if you followed a path down, you were generally a bit left, a bit right of traffic, track rather, and it was all okay. Now the GPS, you went over that same point every time and damn bad luck if you lived in the house that they went right over. <laughs> so they actually changed a few things to either move the track or, or break it up a bit so that some poor bugger living in this house on the approach path wasn't getting every single aircraft going over. Oh, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, I know. We'd love it. but yeah. <laughs> and, and it's typical. You might find the same thing in the US. Apparently 95% of all noise complaints are made from about 10 people. Um, I know Sydney um, Air Services released the stats so in Sydney, it's about 95% of all noise complaints about aircraft come from literally five to 10 people in the Sydney Basin area, uh, which is, I, I guess that's probably common everywhere, but you know, mm-hmm. it's um, the, the vocal minority. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, look, it, aircraft still fly the same down here. Uh, absolutely. You know, yeah. um, Newton and Bernoulli are in effect. Um, the dollars burnt gives you the thrust to exceed the um, bureaucratic morass that holds you back. Those kind of things are the same. We have a smaller population. We've got a bigger space. It's the only real way to get around Australia. You guys are driving around here a bit Mm -hmm. and you're seeing how long it takes Mm -hmm. to do anything. Jumping in a plane, you can get somewhere in an hour that would take us six to eight hours easily on the roads. 
So it's a great way to see Australia. If you're going to come down, there's a number of um, of the air safari groups. Yeah. Uh, we've got a couple of them that we're going to be talking to and having on. We had Monica Petrallo who did. Yep, one we ages also yeah, we also had yeah. Her great story. Uh, yeah, she's yep. she's a lot of fun and uh, did a really cool tour. There's um, we've got uh, Air Safaris International and a couple others we're going to have on future episodes talking about the safaris that they do around mm. Australia. It's an incredible way to see the city, uh, sorry, see the country and uh, you, you'll see some amazing areas. But even that's going to take you like four, six weeks mm. to really get a good feel for mm. a lot of the areas because there's so much variety. So, you know, there's a lot of similarities. We are a little USA in a way mm-hmm. uh, with a bit of a British background uh, we're and our own unique blend of craziness but mm-hmm. uh, it's it, it's kind of sad seeing what's happening down here with the prices uh, we're really jealous of what you guys have got there and you should really fight to keep it yep. um, really really fight back yeah and that's a good takeaway especially yeah. to, to hear somebody else who's flown you know where user fees exist and seeing the differences and then yeah. come to the US and operate in both environments and I think it's good that the listeners hear that from people who are actually experiencing it other than just a bunch of, you know, lip service from, you know, a magazine in the state yeah. saying you don't want this, you don't want this. But you really want to hear from people who are experiencing these issues. Feeling yeah. the pain. Well, yeah, it was an issue. The real pain. I, I mean, I did my license part 61, I think. Mm-hmm. So I didn't go through one of those 141 schools. But um, I used to interact a lot with a school in Tennessee, I think, that uh, was a 141 school. A lot of Australian pilots learning there. Yeah. And I think, I mean, the user fees, if, if there's one good thing about them, it's good for those sorts of schools that must generate, yeah. I, I would imagine, a lot yeah. of business for those guys. Yeah. So, Yeah. Well, great. Um, we did uh, talk about the balloon company uh, at yeah. the beginning of the show. So real fast, we'll just uh, use them as, uh, you know, we'll just, the pick of the week uh, it was just to give the name and the website for any mm-hmm. of the listeners, anybody who comes down in this area, even if they just want to meet up with you and, and yeah, experience, a, you know, a balloon ride and see the area. But uh, it's called um, Picture This Ballooning. And what's your website? Ah, it's picturethis.com.au. Very so hard. picture as in photo, so picture this. We have been around since uh, I think it's, well, quite a number of years actually, in the 90, early 90s mm-hmm. we formed, I believe. Um, we came from the operation of special shape balloons, so the beer glass, the house, the nudie character, all those kind of things, Mike Monster. We operate this. <laughs> if, if there's a special shape operating in, in Australia, 99% chance of I'm almost embarrassed to say this on the air, but it's kind of funny. The box of tampons. Yeah, don't go there. <laughs> Talk don't about special shapes and some weird special shapes. Oh, man, that's just a box. <laughs> it's a real pain to We're fly. We're very open-minded uh, race <laughs> of people. Uh, <laughs> really weird project we inherited. and um, <laughs> that, That's just too funny. <laughs> oh, man. That's, don't go Do you there. see that just kind of going by the sky there? Go, what the? Well, you know, quite often when you've got the, when you've got it tethered somewhere, you've got people coming over to go, you know, and so there's guys handing out product, you know, balloon crew. It's just not, it just, uh, it was just weird. Too funny, it was just weird. But funny. yeah, our preferred ones are the other ones. Yeah, know, the, like, the fun ones. Yeah, especially the beer glass. The beer glass. We love that one. That's the flying fun. beer glass. Yeah, that's very Australian. Um, that's cool. Yeah. So yeah, come on down. If you're in, coming down to Melbourne, Give me a yell. Uh, you can find me via playingcrazydownunder.com, mm-hmm. um, playingcrazydownunder at Gmail, or um, I think my mobile number's on the dang PCDU website okay. under contact. So yeah. just give me a yell. Let me know you're coming down. We'll try and look after you the best we can. Uh, yeah, and I definitely, just just from going up there with you guys this morning, I can definitely vouch for, you know, you're a lot of fun, very entertaining, very <laughs> uh, the, very professional. No, it's just, it was a great experience all around. You know, our pilot, 
was giving us all the information. He's like, we're going to go do this. You know, we're in the car. He's like, so here's what's next. And just kind of, it was, it was like, you know, the good pilot in command does, and they always keep you in the loop of what's going on. And, and after the fact, we went over and uh, don't, you can't forget the uh, champagne and breakfast, mm-hmm. a little brekkie. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, oh, he's brekkie. The brekkie. <laughs> no, but, you know, you have brekkie in the morning and um, dinner in the Arvo, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Now, now, Len, I have to ask you, um, you need to tell all our listeners, have you tried Vegemite yet? Not yet. That's this uh, afternoon when we get, oh, sorry, that's this Arvo when this we get Arvo. home, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Vegemite. We'll, 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 do the, we'll do the, he's a mate. And we're looking after him, kind of introduction to Vegemite, <laughs> as opposed to some of these other folks who we go, yeah, 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 it's just like jelly. It's great. Slap it on. <laughs> Have a bite. I, I've tried Dr. Pepper and survived it, so I think you should. Uh... <laughs> How about you guys, Rick and Sean? Have you ever tried Vegemite over there? No, no, I I've not. heard of it, but yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I have not tried it. <laughs> <laughs> well, complimentary uh, jars yeah, are. Bring a, yeah, bring some back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're gonna you're gonna you know, come back in through those customs. Some, anything to declare? Yeah, <laughs> in 48 states. Those, yeah. are, those are some great gifts, right? <laughs> oh yeah, look at what Len got. Uh. <laughs> Len went to Australia, and all I got was this jar of vegemite. <laughs> that's legend. I like that. But uh, yeah, that's great. So it's uh, picturethis.com.au. That's yeah, it. Great. It was just a, it was a truly great experience, and we appreciate you, you know having the opportunity to go up there. The after landing checklist. Um, before we do wrap up, the uh, you know you guys are part of the Playing Crazy Down Under podcast, and what's that website and Twitter and Facebook? How can they get a hold with you guys individually? Yeah, well, uh, you can find us on Twitter at PCDU, and as Grant mentioned, our website is PlaneCrazyDownUnder.com. dot com. Okay, um, you can follow me if you like. You can follow all my boring tweets about politics and everything. It's Steve Vischer. Just follow my name, but uh, follow us on Twitter at okay. uh, PCDU. Okay, and we're on Facebook and iTunes and all that sure. sort of stuff. So. Uh, we talk about uh, anything to do with uh, aviation in this part of the world, and we, mm-hmm. we just run it like a bit of a variety show, a bit like you guys do, mm-hmm. actually, so, okay. without the cool intros. We need some of those cool stuck mic intros, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have to go and record. Just, oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, your contact info. Um, yeah, you can get me as Falcon124 on Twitter. Okay. And I'm posting stuff about um, ballooning, aviation in general. Um, yeah, not too much on politics. Sometimes on drinking booze and beer reviews. Um, you're going to find them. <laughs> yeah. uh, beer Crazy Down Under? Yeah, if you go to beercrazydownunder.com, it redirects to my beer blog. But <clears throat> I haven't updated that for a while. I've been too busy. But uh, yeah, so Falcon124 is the main one. Um, I'm also flymefriendly.com. And I, the usual thing, I'm too busy to update it as much as I should, mm-hmm. but, you know, stories about flying and things like that and the odd rant and rave. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that's the big one's Falcon 124 and I, I just pump stuff out there, like okay. photos of balloons as we're inside them, inspecting them and, mm-hmm. you know, sort of like the view you got this morning as we were inflating. I, I live with that all the time. So, you know, but uh, for a lot of people, it's like, quite amazing to be yeah, inside cool. this thing. Yeah. yeah, should try walking inside yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, great. Um, Rick, tell us your contact info. Yeah, rfelty on Twitter and rdfelty at YouTube. And Sean? I am on Twitter as aviation. That's A-V-I-A-S-E-A-N. Fantastic. And you can find me, Len Costa, on uh, Twitter at Len Costa. Uh, the website is stuckmikeavcast.com. We're stuckmikeavcast on Twitter, on Facebook. Hey, go over to the website, check out that voicemail tab. Do give us a shout. Leave us a leave us a message there. In fact, I think it was you guys that I saw this little yeah. neat this <laughs> that I, I took the idea from. But uh, yeah, you can just click right on there. It says leave us a voicemail. We'll get that. I've gotten a couple from some listeners with some good ideas, some questions. 
some shout outs, those kinds of things. We'll mention them on the air. Uh, so from myself, Len Costa, uh, Carl Valeri, who couldn't be joining us, who's probably in Las Vegas right now. Uh, Rick Felty, Sean Moody, Grant uh, McHerrin, Steve Vischer. We all wish you guys uh, thank you all for tuning in to actually episode number 46 of the Stuck Mike Avcast, the smack down under here. Is that like the thunder down under? Yeah, it could be. Uh, <laughs> or, or as I've been calling it, smack the dirt, because smack. it's the down under road trip that you're doing. So <laughs> yes, smack the dirt. Smack the dirt. Uh, we thank you all for, uh, thanks for tuning in to, to this edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Wish you all clear skies and calm winds. Take care. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Abcast is an aviation podcast brought to you by thepilotreport.com, a Len Costa Production.